Hey there, I'm Alan Furstenberg. And I'm Mark Tucker, and we are Two Voice Devs. Two Voice Devs. Hey, everyone. How's it going, Mark? It's going fine. It's I, I had a crazy fun Saturday. I got to just have a block of time where I could play around with something that's been on my list of things to do for a while, which is Web API for Games. Oh, um, fun. Yeah, I know. I saw the, the project that you posted about that and, that, uh, and, and kind of read through it. I got some questions, but it's really funny that you posted that because about two weeks ago, I did a presentation about React with Interactive Canvas, and I just posted the code to that as well. So I think that's a good timing that we'll be talking about it this week. Yeah, it is. So interestingly, so the, the web technology or web framework that I chose to use was Vue.js with TypeScript. I don't have a lot of TypeScript on the, on the UI experience, but you know, some of the examples um, that I saw did that. And it seemed to be the easiest thing to get started was to do that. And also it has some Tailwind CSS in there. So that's kind of, so that with web API for games, that's a terrible name. Interactive canvas is much nicer <laughs> of a name, but uh, web API for games. There's not even an acronym. Is there for W A W A G F G W A WAG? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I hope not anyway. So I see interactive canvas. That's that's pretty quick. So why don't we why don't you start with let's talk about web API for games at least a little. And then let's also talk about some of the other technologies that we were using with this, you know, the the view, the tailwind, react, and you know, because some of the people that you know are doing voice don't really know about these technologies. So Okay. Well, let's start. Let's start with well, uh, web API for games. Okay, so I, I'll talk about that, and I also want to throw in that I've got a little bit of experience now this year with interactive Canvas on a project that I've been working on. So I can see some parallels and some differences, and you you know interactive Canvas a lot more in depth than I do. So we can it'll be good to kind of make some comparisons yeah. there. But, but the the same thing with when we talked about interactive Canvas is that there is this ability to write screens for smart displays, which would be all your Echo Show devices in the case of Amazon. And you know, last week you talked about APL, you know, great job, Stuart, coming on. And this was a fun time. It was fantastic. And that's actually sparked a lot of conversation on Twitter since then about APL and comparing it to HTML and, and so forth. So a lot of good conversation there if people haven't seen it yet. Yeah, so this will be good that kind of fit into that, the UI frameworks. How do you develop um, voice first plus screen experiences? Or I don't know, how would you say that? That's a really good question. Oh. I, I usually think of it as multimodal interfaces. Yeah. yeah, so the idea though, is that you do have a solid voice experience and then you add some additional functionality with screens. And in some cases you could flip back and forth. You could, you know, say something and the screen comes up, you can tap a button on the screen, get some, you know, show something or get an additional voice response back. So that this all fits in there, but there are limitations to using uh, web API for games. It is just for games. It's in the name. But, <laughs> I, you know, this makes a little bit more sense on the Alexa side where you do have this alternative display system. Yes. Still ridiculously frustrating on the Google side where it's for games and for some game-like things. So it's also for tell me a story and teach me something new, but it's it's really largely for games. Yeah. So I, I, I like the, you know, the approach, the, the expansion 
you know, interactive canvas started with just games as well, and then expanded to storytelling and education, which I would think that there's really no reason why Web API for games shouldn't be able to do that. Well, okay, let's keep going. I, I don't want yeah. to beat this dead horse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I think I'm in, in agreement with you on, you know, we have developers that are coming from lots of different backgrounds and some of those, that background is from web. And if they're more like used to developing UIs in with web technologies, then why force them to learn another technology? That's, yeah, that's, I guess that's there. There's my opinion on it. <laughs> that, that's very definitely my opinion on it. So, so, so what, yeah, so it's limited in what you can do. And basically your smart uh, display device is going to be showing a web browser and navigate to a website, you know, a publicly hosted website that's for your game UI and be able to respond to certain events that are coming from your voice app to the web app. And, and then well, respond with like button press events or other things that are in your web app that is going to be sent back to your voice app on the server side of things. Or you can, there's things that you can do where it's just all happens on the client and it doesn't go back to the server. It, it doesn't have to always do that round trip as well. So that's, that's kind of the, you know, the, the niche where this fits in. You have to turn on a specific interface when you're designing your Alexa skill to say that it's going to support web API for games. It could, it could support both uh, web API for games and APL because hmm. I guess there are certain devices that don't support both. I don't know what happens if you do both and then you hit a device where it has both, which one takes priority. I would I don't know. I, I would think they would probably select APL, but I, I think there's certain situations or devices, at least there was a while ago that you kind of wanted to have APL on there as a backup in case the device didn't support it, but that may or may not be the case now. Interesting. Okay. So, so basically when, when you want to say like in your launch event uh, or launch handler for your skill, when you, you say, I want to show the, the web screen to go along with this, there is a directive that you send back from the server down to the client. And then that navigates to the URL. And that one is specifically, it's the directive is alexa.presentation.html.start. Okay. And the two pieces of information that you can pass from the server to the client is the URL that you're going to navigate to and optional data, you know, some JSON structure that you want to pass some initial data. You don't have to, so you, you could just say once the web page, like if you've got a welcome page and there's no data that needs to be bound to anything in the UI, you could just do that. Okay. That all makes sense. And then as you're going through, and, and so what happens when you start up your web app on the JavaScript side of things that off of the window object, there's a window.alexa object, and then you register for some events so that you'll get this, this update event that fires when something is passed from the, from the server to the, to the, so, so you need, so you need to register yeah. for that event. Yeah. So you, you know, kind of like in interactive okay. canvas where you do on update or um, where you where you set up the where you have the the ready function where you set up the, yeah. the event. Okay, so that's yeah. again so sounds like there are some direct parallels here. Very similar, you know, and just like on interactive canvas when you're sending back your HTML response, 
you can pass in a URL and a data structure that gets passed, right? What's different is, is that that structure is the same, whether it's the first time or subsequent time on Google, right? It's the same type of response that you come back. You wouldn't typically pass the URL other than the first time, but if you yeah. did, you'd have to keep it the same thing as it was before. And it would just, in essence, ignore it. You don't have to. I mean, you can yeah. send back a different URL each time and it'll load a different page each time, but that's there are some overhead strongly and... advised against. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the same. Where What's different on the Web API for game side of things is that there's the one directive to start the experience where you pass back a URL required optional data. And then there's like an on message. So there's a separate directive Hmm. That okay. is alexa.presentation.html.handle message. And then you can only pass in a data structure to go back. So you, you, you can't even pass in a URL. So in essence, you can only pass the URL once. And then there's a separate directive response for subsequent times when you're passing data from the server to the client. Okay. So but very similar. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you want to go the other direction from the, the client to the server on interactive canvas, it's the send text, right? Yes. Um, in, on the assistant side. On the assistant side. So right. send, send, send text query. Okay. So, so that's going to send you the text as if you were just speaking that same thing, right? Yep. Well, that's not how it works on, on the Alexa side. <laughs> well, there, of course not. <laughs> yeah, so you have the ability to send a message. So you call a function which send a message and you pass in a JSON string. So there's a separate handler that you have to handle. Okay, hang on. You pass in a JSON string. Oh, you pass in. Sorry, pass in a JSON, yeah. So Okay, sorry, so you're was, passing. JSON, okay. it, could be, it could be string, it could be other stuff in that object. And there's a special event that you handle on the Alexa side, alexa.presentation.html.message. Okay. So you're always getting past some sort of a JSON object, and then you'd have to handle that separate event and then map that to like the, the handler that you would have mm -hmm. called if you, so it's not as slick as what Google does as far as just treat it like you had said it. Well, it's actually funny because I see that as slicker in some ways. Really? Because, yes, because, and it's it's because Alexa has events, which you and I talked about two weeks ago. Yeah. Where Google doesn't have events. So this is an event and you're handing it a data object as part of that event. Where on the Google side, in order to do that, it's essentially two things. We have to set the data that's going to be sent back. And then we have to trigger a fake voice message, but, and the data will come along with it as a payload, but the data will also come along if the user says something. Okay. That's right. I remember that now. So, but that's, so to do the same thing, it's two calls on the Google side, which only result in one thing happening. Whereas on the Alexa side, it's pretty consistent with the rest of the, the structure. It's an event, not an intent, but you guys handle events normally and anyway. So that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, they're yeah, yeah this handled um, the same. So that that all kind of makes sense. And again, they're they're similar enough that I don't think it's a big a, a huge difference between the two. One thing it does make me wonder though is if I in, if I say something, a show device using interactive canvas, how does that get handled? So sorry, you said show device and then an interactive canvas. I just want to make sure uh, you meant sorry. 
yeah, if I, games, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Brain flies on my part. If I if I said something, if I said something to show while a web page is showing, what happens? My understanding is that the screen will just stay there, and you'll it'll just handle the intent. Okay. So there is a there is a, a value that you can pass on the initial start, which is a value between well, I guess max of three hundred seconds of how long you want the screen to stay on before I guess it goes away. So I think you've got some kind of- Interesting. Yeah, so- and, um, and, and I particularly say that's interesting because that exists on the Google side as well, except you can't control it. Oh. It's if, if you What's don't do, it's five minutes. If you don't, I think it's, yeah, it's five minutes. If you don't okay. do anything within five minutes, it will assume that the action's been terminated. Huh, that is interesting. So yeah, but you, you get to you can get to control it once and that value gets used hmm. throughout the whole life cycle. Very interesting. interesting. Yeah. Now so here's another one, another kind of question along those lines. Can you control whether the microphone stays open for a period of time after you send a response back? Or if it needs to be, you need to have the, the wake word. You know what? I have not seen anything that would indicate that that's mm. possible, but I haven't, you know, I haven't seen all of the events that are off of that object that, that gets passed when you first, or, you know, register your you know, mm -hmm. JavaScript object. So I don't know. I don't know what else might be possible. Interesting. Um, yeah, so we'll have to, I'll have to take a look at some of that stuff. There is one thing that's glaringly missing on the Alexa side of things. What, what do you think that would be? I, I don't know, actually. I'm curious. Uh, well, it's the on TTS mark oh, event yes. on the JavaScript side. So which is now starting to become one of my favorite things as far as about interactive canvas is the fact that I could put SSML mark tags, besides the fact that it's a mark tag, is the, the ability to say at different points in time, I want something to happen. So it could trigger a screen change. It could trigger an animation that's synced up with different parts in the audio that's coming back. And it's really funny you say that though, because one of the things that kind of blew my mind in my conversation with Stuart last week was the fact that you can synchronize APLA to, or sorry, you can synchronize something happening in APL to generated text, but you have to use generated text. So you have to yeah. use the text-to-speech function. Yeah, it is a little, yeah, I'm, I'm, it seems a little kludgy on the APL side of things to do that. The, the mark tag in SSML Oh, I think the mark tag elegant. is beautiful and elegant for a lot of reasons. I agree. But I find it kind of funny that I discovered this last week that it's sort of possible on yeah. the APL side and it's not in the web HTML for game. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So there's, there's nothing. Cause I, you know, I, I would love to, to be able to, you know, pass data back as I need it, but then have like multiple cues saying, I want to show this screen, you know, cause you could show two, two different screens in one turn if you wanted to do a screen transition, next screen, carry on, you know? Mm -hmm. 
type of thing where you can't really do that. At least I don't know of a way to do that with web API for games. So frowny face on that, because that is one of my favorite interactive canvas features. I wonder if there's something in APL a that ends up triggering events. I mean, and that's really what it is. You need something somewhere to trigger the event on the JavaScript side. Yeah. Which is, yeah. So which is interesting because then you've got APL, but then if you don't have an APL document, then how do you, or how does APL, because APL A is more APL because it's the same type of data structure versus right. that you can use APL A without APL. So I guess you could potentially use APL A with web API for games. I don't know. That would be interesting to see what's. I'm, I'm sorry, but, I keep asking you all of these complicated, these, these yeah, stuff that you haven't no. played with because I'm not sure I could play with it so quickly either. To be honest, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely interested. I love the the use case, like interactive storytelling or books or something, where you could be reading a story and at different points have a mark tag that then kicks off an animation that carries on with the story. I I love that simplicity and that power that you get with interactive canvas. A couple of other things that are a little disappointing on the web API for game side of things is that you have to always test on device. There is hmm. no simulator that simulates the, the canvas. So that, that's kind of funny, actually, which, which then also means that, you know, you can't really debug into your simulated screen code. You have to, you can, you know, run a local server, your code, but then you have to do something else that would simulate or trigger the different events. So right. And there, would, and there's no yeah. way to see what's actually happening on the device itself. Well, there are some, there's like a couple different debug options. So like one debug option they say is that you can, you know, turn on debug mode. Uh, well, you can turn on, or I guess, create your own screen debug overlay for testing and log things out to the screen. Right. Okay. Yeah. There is another option if you're using a Fire TV device because I guess there's a browser that's part of that. You can do something with Chrome remote debugging. Okay. Which was, uh, seems a little crazy, but I mean, well, possible. yeah. I, I kind of saw the same thing when you're trying to debug a Chromecast. Well, I mean, it, it's kind of funny because <laughs> that's one of the recommended debugging methods to, to debug the interactive canvas now on a device is use Chrome, re Chrome remote debugging against the device. So it's kind of funny that the Fire TV is using <laughs> Chrome and you can use Chrome remote debugging on it. Yeah, oh, I guess that you'd have to, right? Or there would have to be some way that they would have to, how else could you connect? But that actually brings but, up an yeah. interesting question. No, no, so, so finish your other downsides first because this now has another question I've got. Yeah. So that so the downside is the debugging of it, and it seemed like and maybe this was just my implementation, you know, limited implementation. But it seemed like as soon as the skill was over, I, I tried to play like a like an exit screen, and the exit screen would never show, or it would just kind of like abruptly close. Once the skill closed, then then the screen would abruptly close, even though you had said like, I want it. 300 seconds to hang on for 300 seconds or something. So I couldn't figure out a way to show an exit screen. Hmm. Like, you know. I haven't tried that on the assistant side. That's an interesting question. I know that it kind of disappears after it stops talking. So yeah. I so guess you could that... pad it with 
I don't know. Some extra music or some silence or something. I was going to say, or you know, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, I, I have made a correlation with it staying along around as long as something's talking. So I could try to put a really long outro text and maybe that would solve it. So those are the, I guess those are, those are the, the, the main downsides for me was, you know, having to set it up and do use a device to test it. And then there's not really a good way to debug it. And then not having on TTS mark and the mark tag. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can certainly see those as issues. You said something in passing though that, that has me curious. What devices is it available for? All right, so it looks like it's available for the older Echo Show and the new Echo Shows, okay. as well as an, various Fire TV cubes and sticks. <laughs> what it doesn't look like it's available for is the Echo Spot, the little round guy that's been ignored and no longer available and the fire hd tablets because there's like an echo show mode hmm, that you can okay. have for, for tablets so it seems and like most it, of the devices it is available is it available if you access it via the alexa app on a mobile device no not to my knowledge interesting i know that is that is also a disappointment so but so but here's the here's the thing that is not a disappointment about this it's available on Fire TV devices. Yes. Okay. The interactive canvas is not available on <laughs> Chromecast devices. Even Chromecast devices that have the assistant, like the Chromecast with Google TV device, not oh, available. And that, that, that living room party experience is right. perfect for that. It's also not available on the Stadia, which has an assistant. <laughs> so, so these two big screen experiences, one of which is specifically designed for games, can't support the assistant that's specifically designed for games. it is good to see that Amazon got that part right, at least. So that's so, very interesting. What is also interesting is when you were talking about APL last week and the new Echo Show 10, the dancing Echo, yes. that there are some extensions that are available for that. And those are also available, for, or some of them are also available for Web API for games. So for example, Ooh. there's entity sensing and smart motion extensions that are available. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. So I haven't had a chance to play with those and I'm not sure how you would do that because it seems like even though there's a simulator for the Echo Show 10, when it comes to like, you know, moving and uh -huh. motion and sensing, because it's web API for games and there's not a simulator, a web-based simulator for that, then you probably would have to have the device. You don't have your Echo Show 10 yet? I don't. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly where I would put it at this point in time. <laughs> But spinning around behind you because apparently the, the coolest thing is to have it appear on camera with you. Oh, is it? Okay. I have to, maybe I have to do like a cardboard cutout of a <laughs> dancing echo beside, uh, behind me. But yeah, that's, no, that's, that's interesting that it's going to be able to have that functionality in it. That's very interesting. And, and that actually also, I, mean, I guess that leads to the, to the other question I have of, you know, on the interactive canvas side, 
although there's a lot of web APIs these days, the interactive canvas doesn't have access to a, a number of them, including camera APIs. Yeah. Uh, also including local storage APIs and, you know, other yeah, stuff. I'm, I'm sure I haven't looked that up, but I'm sure there are a whole list of limitations as far as what the web browser on the device supports for web API for games as well. I do have a question on, on interactive canvas because there, there are certain different flows that Amazon takes over. So for example, if I want to do in-game purchasing or in-skill purchasing. Yeah. Uh, or I, I, can, um, I can stop you right here. No. Yeah. So, but, but I don't know if there's additional flows that would bring up, you know, I guess the different things where you, you kick, there's nothing that you would kick off or like permission flows maybe, oh, that's probably not even changing or anything. But I, I know like you, when you kick up like in skill purchasing, then basically Amazon takes over that flow. So the voice prompts and the mm -hmm. UI that gets shown during that point of time is something that is in complete control of Amazon. And so there are some tips or some workarounds that when you come back from one of those flows, then you might have to do one of those Alexa presentation HTML starts to kick mm. off the web application again. That makes sense. To get, to get going. And that I guess sense. in that point in time, you might want to then pass data in to say, I'm at this certain spot. So you can show a certain screen. You know, when you, when you first started up, you could have your default screen be your welcome screen. So when you just navigate to the app, then it just shows you that first screen, but you probably want to yeah, but pass it, in it, the extra data. I was going to say, it sounds like it's best practice anyway to treat that extra data the same as any other data that you'd pass back as part of your, yeah. your conversation. And and that actually, I think, starts bringing us to the, the view app that you yeah. wrote to demonstrate. So why don't we talk a little bit about the, the view framework and the React framework? Because have you done much with React? I, I, I haven't, I've, I've seen some examples, but I haven't really coded anything. With that, that sounds like more than I've done with you then. So I think this is a good opportunity <laughs> for us to, to kind of share a little bit of knowledge about that for people who are not familiar with them. Yeah, so, so frameworks like Vue and, and React are ways to construct UIs that are interactive. So if you want to bind data or you want to have transitions with a router, you know, they're all in the realm of, of the single page application. They've, they've grown from, from that, you know, from you know, whatever, five, eight years ago, whatever it was when SPAs fairly first came out. You know, but you could also use something like Angular. There's lots of different frameworks mm -hmm. that you could use, or, or you could use game engines like Phaser, or you know, right. so I, you I, could use all kinds of stuff, right? To, I, to I do think, the web stuff. I think the notable thing about Vue and React and Angular and the the modern crop of these sorts of things compared to say jQuery, is that they're more template oriented. Yeah. So you're building. In, instead of building a page and then using your code to change parts of the page, you kind of flip that around. So you're building a page and the components on the page and you say under what conditions different components will work and you're passing them data and the components change what they do based on that data. Right, which, and components can contain other components, could contain, yeah. Right, which I think fits very nicely into this notion of you know, the, your, your webhook sends data down and now your web page is going to change what it looks like based on that. Right. Very, very consistent. Yeah. So in, in the, in the view world, there's a main component called the app component and you, you know, specify a placeholder that says, you know, here's your regular index.html page that's got the reference to your Alexa JavaScript library to get this interactivity and, 
And here is a you know div that says put the content of your component, you know, you put your root component here, basically. And so that that root component is your app component. And then that, that um, matches exactly to how React handles it or how, how React suggests you handle it as well. So okay. Oh good. So then I have a there's a separate components folder and each um, file in that folder is a different screen. So I've got a welcome screen and a hello screen or you know, help screen, whatever. So each of those screens is really just a component and you're gonna replace the whole, you know, kind of frame that you have. I've just, in, in my case, I've got the whole screen being the, the thing that gets replaced, but you could have some sort of a layout where you've got some frame or Chrome or something around that's always there and then swap out, you know, kind of a, a different part of the screen. But, and then you just, you know, based on the data that comes back, then you can just say, oh, if the screen name equals this, then, then, you know, set your component to this. And there's kind of a fancy way of doing dynamic components with view that I was pretty pleased with that you can just do it like a component tag and you basically just send out the value of a string and then it matches the component that has that same string name and flips that in. So now you've got this data-driven router that's that's being driven off of the values that are coming back from your Alexa oh, Okay. Yeah. That's it's a little better than how I did it on the React side, which required me to do a little a little fancier checking about what the the scene that I, I wanted to display was and then show a particular uh, component based on that. I probably could have found some way to do it with routing, but it's, it was more straightforward the way I was trying to do it, I think. Yeah. Well, um, and, you know, and worst case is that you could have all of the components in that same section and then just have it like, if screen name equals this, then show right. this. Yeah, no, that, yeah. that's, you don't want to do that though, in general. You know, yeah. making, I, I think the notion of making each screen a separate component is the right approach. And that's, yeah. it's the approach that I took as well on the React side. Yeah, and so the only code that really knows about this window.alexa object is this app component. And so, and, and there's a way to pass in properties from the parent, which is app, into the child, which is a screen. And there's also a way to bubble up events from the child screen up to the parent. So then the app component itself is listening for this send message event oh, okay. function. And so I then... That's I was going actual, to ask you about that. I, I saw yeah. that in the code and I was trying to figure that out. So that makes sense now. Okay. Yeah. So, so the, so it's really that app dot, that, that app component that is doing both the listening for the events of messages coming from the server to client and also the actual sending of the event from the client to the server, which means that then that the component is, is, is pretty, you know, pretty much the same. Reason why, one of the reasons why I took that approach is I'm, I'm looking at, well, could, could I come up with some sort of a framework where I've got the, the same code or at least the same screens could be reused for both interactive Canvas and web API for games. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, it's looking pretty promising. I could have a, an Alexa app object and I could have a Google app object. And you know, Google would know about the, the window.interactive Canvas object. The mm -hmm. Alexa would know about the, the window.alexa object. And the fact that I'm passing data in to the child components, that would be consistent. And I would just have to do the translation for whatever on update that I get. And then raising the event from the child to the, to the app object and then having the app object actually communicate to the server seems to be something that I could abstract away as well from the screens. So conceptually, I could use the same screens in both situations for one code base. 
Yep. No, that makes sense. And React has a similar concept. I actually did not use it in this particular case, but I think I'm going to go change my code now to reflect that notion because it's it's a better approach. You're right. Yeah. So I, I think what I might end up having to do right now, there's a single HTML index.html, which is is the root, but I might end up having to do like a separate subdirectory or a separate, you know, canvas.html versus alexa.html or something like that, which would then hook up the right app uh, component as the root and stuff. And then that might, that might be all I need to do. And I could, uh, you know, handle both of those differences that one S3 mm -hmm. bucket that's hosted <clears throat> as a, a web app would be able to, to have both of those web pages, one for one platform and one for the other, but then everything else gets served up. Certainly one of the things yeah. that I would I was considering at one point was trying to figure out if there is a way that the that the JavaScript itself could figure out which platform it's on. Because it, oh, it can't like, like the user agent or something like that. Well, or? either the user agent or just simply, you know, being able to, you know, if there was a method on the Alexa, the Windows Alexa object and the Windows Assistant Canvas object to say is an environment or, you know, whatever mm. is running, is on device, is that, you know, something like that, that I could just say, is the, am I actually running on a device? And if the answer was yes, then I knew that I could, well, I should be using that particular initialization method. Otherwise fall back to something to do it on the web. Cause this way yeah. I can have the same code that runs on the web, on Alexa, on Google, and behave oh. just slightly differently enough if it hmm. needs to. Interesting. That was that was one of the questions that I got at the Voice Lunch Dev session. Yeah, you know the way that you could, you know, you would think you would be able to do it would be some sort of like user agent or something, so you would know what device it is. But I don't know that they're releasing that type of information. It'd yeah. be interesting to see what the you know that information shows up as, like what version of what browser is it being registered as well yeah it also would be nice if they told us so that we knew what we could safely do but they don't yeah <laughs> of course so yeah so throwing in and the the rest of the technologies you know view is pretty easy i've got it's a it's an open source project we'll include a link to that if you want to go take a look at it it's it's using jovo as the back-end code you know because conceptually i could have that same code being running pretty Pretty expected, yeah. Both, yeah, yeah, Java, Java. I'm a big fan. So you know, you can take a look at it and and see what you know questions you have, or you know, improve upon it, or or you know, I'm. And then the other technology was it was kind of in, already included with the sample that I had that I started with was using Tailwind CSS as the CSS framework. Kind of interested in learning more about that. I know it's a different approach to how I typically have done CSS in the past, but pretty impressed with with the approach and, you know, it seemed like a fairly reasoned approach of why it exists. So you could check out Tailwind and, and, and see. What other technologies besides React do you use as a... In this case, I mostly stuck to React. I didn't stick to any of the, the CSS frameworks that are out there, mostly because I am... What's the, what's the right way to put this? I am not a great visual designer, which is part of the reason I got into voice. You know, as, as they say, I have a face for radio. So... While I do do stuff with, with CSS and I've used SCCS 
Mm -hmm. uh, a bit, it's not my forte. And fortunately, I have someone on my team who is better than I, who at least looks over my shoulder every time I, I publish stuff visually. Yeah, it's hats off. That That is a, a skill set that, you know, saying that you're a front end dev is nothing to, no, to sneeze I at. Have, That's... I have amazing amounts of respect for for front-end developers. I think the other the other one that I've started working with a little bit more, and I've only started playing with it, is using Bootstrap as part of the interactive canvas as well. And that's because I like laying things out in, in columns in some cases. Yeah. And Bootstrap is particularly good at that sort of thing. It's also good at knowing when I'm on a horizontal versus vertical device. Okay, so it's got some responsiveness built in. Yeah. And that's important when I'm dealing with something that could be on a phone versus, versus on a, uh, a landscaped uh, smart display. Yeah, interesting. So my uh, current browser of choice has just been recently, I think about a month, month and a half ago, I switched to Vivaldi. And uh, I've got some screenshots on Twitter where I was able to create in my developer tools. And maybe maybe this is just part of develop, Chrome developer tools, but. I could add some custom sizes. So I've added my Google Hub, Google Hub Max, different Echo Show screen sizes so that, and like TVs and different things like that. So you could then in your browser, just resize and kind of see how your screen's going to look. Mm -hmm. That's Give it a visual spot check. That's one of the things I'd like doing when I'm developing for the interactive canvas these days is actually I start out on a Chrome device. You know, I just start out without paying attention to the, interactive canvas part of it right. and just do my layouts using standard web layout tools and test them on a standard Chrome browser. Yep. You can hard code JSON if you need data binding yeah. or you can just hard code values and then add the data binding in later when you start pulling things you know, mm -hmm. and in some cases, components and stuff. And in some cases I set up key binding, you know, key bound events so that I can see what it looks like to change screens to, oh, yeah. you know, to simulate inputs. All of that I can simulate with key bindings. So I do so, you know, and it's, it gives me a rough idea. It's at least good for a first attempt at it. It's not yeah. the right final attempt, but it's a good, you know, it's good to do all of these things before I try to marry it up with a backend and on a device, you know. Yeah, because then you start having these other dependencies that you have to, you know. Like in, in the, you know, in my world, then because my devices are on, on my, my, my personal Amazon account and my, you know, development is in my, you know, developer account and those are separate. Then I have to set up an Alexa beta, which means I have to make sure certain values are set before I can like uh -huh. publish it. So then I can actually test it. And then you just start, you know, it just gets, gets to be more and more complicated. So the, quicker that you can do and you can turn on something like a, a, a watch or some interaction. So you can, as you're making changes in code, it automatically changes the screen. That's what, and it's and just a, a quick, a quick uh, feedback loop. Right. And that's one of the nice things about React is it's got a very good quick compiler. So once you save your code, it immediately will recompile it. And if you're loading it in a browser, it just refreshes the browser screen immediately with the new code. And then so later, do, later you can do a fuller build and test it on the, the full interaction. Now, now, does React use things like Webpack and? Uh, I, I think I. Yeah, this is I guess one of out those, here, raise your hand if you love Webpack. This, this is one of those that I'm sure it does, but I don't know because that's part of the build process that I can kind of ignore. Yeah, 
So yeah, that's part of the problems that I've hit sometime with, with Vue or you know, some of these other frameworks is that sometimes there's configuration of other things before you can even get to the thing that should be the easy thing to do, right? And, but sometimes that, that could be the hurdle yeah. uh, that you hit. Here's, here's one of the things that I consider the good news about this. And this is kind of why I like the notion of using HTML for the, the display layer is that if you're working as part of a team, you've got a front-end developer, hopefully, who yeah. is familiar with all of these tools and has their environment fully set up and can do these things and you know, generate it and so forth and you know, can help you do that if you need to, but also is the one who is driving that visual effort and you're driving the audio experience to go along with it. Right. So you've got somebody who's already an expert in these tools and leveraging that expertise. I think that's, that's just amazing. That's a huge reason why web API for games, did you I get it. it right this time? Okay. Yeah. And interactive canvas are such an important technology because it taps into the experience of thousands of people already. Right. Well, and you can, you know, start seeing, you know, different code samples. You know, hopefully you, know, you can get to the point where you can see code samples on different things. Cause I would love to see, you know, because these are, I guess, so targeted towards education and, and, and storytelling and games that there would be nice to have like a game pack of, of these screens that are based on, you know, view or other things, because, you know, certain types of games, you don't need uh, a full game like a javascript game engine you don't need a phaser or you don't need a some sort of web gl or you know so for anything for 3g uh, for 3d graphics you just need to like a quiz game would be a perfect example you like, need to show a screen that goes along with this thing there you need to show another screen that goes along with this thing that's not some interactive game you're not doing a lot of interactivity the screen is is the secondary experience now not to say that you can't jump into a full game tap you know, experience as part of a voice game, but a lot of times it is still voice controlled or you'll want to at least make sure that it, it can be voice controlled. Be voice controlled. Yeah. 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 I think the, the, the counterpart to that though, is you also need to make sure that you handle the cases where you don't have the audio, which we've seen and talked about in the past, you know? Yeah. So you, you, this is a case where you may want to make it more visual if the audio is off or for when yeah. the audio is off. And that's true. This is this was a design consideration. This is a design flaw, for example, in, in crosstalk that I don't actually show the question anywhere. I just read it out. And if you're not listening or the audio is off on your phone or whatever, it doesn't work. Yeah. And that's that's a design flaw. I all I need to go back and fix that. Yeah, that's interesting because you you know it's like it's a voice first that has a screen, but you also might want to use the screen without using any audio, and all of those things should be accommodated. And, and in some cases, you want to use audio without the screen, and you know, yep. this is what a multimodal world is like. It's a lot more work, but yeah. it's also a much better product. Yeah, I think it is. I would agree. Okay. Anything else we wanted to talk about about? I don't know. I think I went through all the stuff that I learned this weekend and, you know, I'm still learning and I've got some ideas that I'm going to try out and they may or may not work. And there's a lot of things that I still want to try out as well. One of the things that I like doing with interactive canvas that is fun and interesting is hooking it up directly to a Firebase database 
so that it can, on its own, without having to go through the webhook, send updates to the database. And because Firebase is a real-time database, mm -hmm. if the database gets updated, so does the client. Oh, interesting. So I'm interested in seeing, you know, I've, I've played with that and it's worked. I'm curious if web API for games does as well. Yeah, I kind of don't think so. But that's interesting because if, you're, if your web data is tied to something that's, that's, that's interactive, that can do interactive updates, you could update the data and have the data update the screen without going through. Without going through the webhook, right. Yeah. And it's not that unreasonable. That's, you know, that's essentially a, a WebSocket, you know, so if you, yeah. if, if WebSockets work, then it should work. Well, yeah. Well, what if you've got a game where you're doing some, you know, some WebSocket communication with friends on other devices, mm -hmm. they're doing something and they, you know, something could happen on their screen. And then you see on your screen that they've made, they've gotten some level or they've made, you know, they've picked up something or there could be all kinds of fun oh, stuff sure. that happens or, with that. Or, you know, picture the fact that you've got a multiplayer real-time action game yep. that you're sometimes controlling with your voice, you know? So imagine you're in the captain's chair of your, your starship and everyone else is in their captain's chair in their starship and you're all connected and you're issuing orders by voice and watching the main display screen. That's cool. That is really cool. And all of a sudden showing up on your screen is player one's ship. Right. And, you know, and, and that player is seeing your ship on their screen from a different angle. Right. That's cool. That is really cool. So yeah, so there, yeah, there's definitely, uh, there's a lot of potential different for ways that you can, yeah, you can update that would be not just, you know, one app talking to one backend and updating the screen. There could be lots of different things or, or you know, like the party game idea. People right. could be using their an app that's on their phone updating things, which then is updating the big screen, but then you're interacting with the screen, answering questions or, you know, taking yeah. turns on that device as well. So that's interesting. Or, you know, the big screen is showing the main question and all of you are answering it on your phone or, you know, one person is controlling the main screen with their voice and another person is trying to undo what they're doing with their voice and oh interesting all yeah. sorts of fun things you can do yeah oh this is this is the fun part just thinking about all these different yeah. ideas of how, and, to, how and interactivity then, could happen and then if they actually let us get past games amazing things that i think we can do i mean i can picture dynamic charts controlled by your voice oh you know yeah. i can i can picture you know, queries that you just say, okay, show that to me, you know, dynamic things happening on the screen. Can you imagine, I mean, and this is something we can do in the Google side now with lessons, you know, say, you know, visually represent if I say, okay, draw this graph, what does that look like? And you can now control graphs being written with your voice. <laughs> you can tell I, I, I'm yeah. really excited by this by what we can do. <laughs> You've thought about it more than just a few minutes. On this. I know, just, just get rid of the stuff I need to do this. Very cool ideas. So, well, we're obviously enthusiastic about web and HTML for voice experiences. We'd love to learn about what you're dreaming about, what you'd want to do, what your successes are, or maybe some, or even some of the challenges that you faced and just like to learn more and just share with us what you're, what you're doing. Yep. Love to hear what you're doing. Love to chat about 
what you're doing. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us in Voice Lunch. We're right in the comments below. Always happy to hear your, your stuff and we can take up your questions and hopefully your answers on a future Two Voice Devs. Two Voice Devs. Take care, everybody. Take care. Have a good one, Mark. All right. See you, Alan. Thanks.